I'm a fun guy. Uh, obviously, I love the game of basketball. Um, I mean, it's just more questions you have to ask me um, in order for me to tell you about myself. I just can't give you a whole spiel. <laughs> I don't even know where you're sitting at. <laughs> Welcome back, ladies and gents. Episode number 30. You are the 30th episode. That's actually really exciting. Um, we are here with one of the coolest guests I've ever met. Just my man, my dude, my brother, my player, the Shock Slayer. <laughs> this is Brendan. Um, he is from Master Talk. Brendan is a master at talking, and he teaches people how to, how to speak better. He is a public speaking coach. Um, and he trains anybody from, you do like small conferences to individuals, is that correct? You got it, Munson. Awesome. And Brennan, if you just want to introduce yourself, where are you from? For sure, man. Great to be here. Thanks for yeah. having me. So yeah, I'm based in Montreal. Okay. Montreal, Canada, everybody. Did you know, I probably didn't tell you this, but our podcast, so I have a co-host as well, um, and he typically is just on for all of our in-person stuff, but uh, he's from Canada. And because of him, really, our podcast, I got an email just a couple weeks ago from somebody in Canada. I'm not sure what he does exactly. It was just a random email. But he says, hey, your guys' podcast jumped up to number 200-something in in the self-motivation uh, category in Canada. So we're getting some good numbers in Canada, so that's great. And that's now you're awesome. here to add to it, adding to the excitement of it. Let's um, hope I live up to that. You better. I'm not, you better not slack on all of Canada. You're going to slack. Your whole country is on your back right now. This is more important than the Olympics. Literally. <laughs> but um, we're going to jump in and talk a little bit about Brendan's story, the things that he's doing, and what in his life has led him to there. Um, as always, everybody, you can subscribe. There's a couple episodes that come out every single week that are only subscription um, it gets you three additional episodes throughout the week, and they're just five to ten minutes, and it's just pure motivation. These ones, obviously a little bit different. We always do an interview, and so we're excited for this. But, Brendan, I'll have you take the stage. You have an awesome YouTube channel um, with tons of tons of subscribers. I didn't remember what you were at, something like 25,000, 30,000, something like that. Am I correct? Yep, something like that. That is so cool. And could you tell everybody exactly what you do? Yeah, for sure. So the story started, Monson, when I was in college. I went to business school. And I did these things called case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So all the guys my mm. age are playing golf or rugby or baseball or football. I wasn't one of those guys. I did presentations competitively. That's how I learned how to speak. Yeah. So my goal was never to be a communication coach. I just wanted a job at one of the big companies. That's why I did these competitions. But then as I got older, I started coaching a lot of the students, Monson, on how to communicate effectively so they too could get the jobs. And I accidentally mm. developed a talent on how to communicate ideas. So the reason Master Talk started in the first place was because I felt everything that I was sharing with people, mostly at my school, wasn't really available for free on the internet. So I just started making videos on communication, public speaking, and it just turned into a giant I never expected. Hmm. And you started coaching people that you were as well in the same program with. Was it just because they were like, dang, 
Brennan, you got mad skills. <laughs> would you coach us or were you just like, hey, guys, come over. Let me coach you sometime. Yeah, I was probably a mix of the two. So what happened was how how this program works is it's student-run, Monson. So, mm. in the, so I joined the program when I was 19. That's when I started coaching. But I started as a competitor. So I was competing at these competitions. And then I started doing well at them. And then I became one of the leaders in the program when I was 19 and a half, 20. And then at that point, I looked at the program and I said, what are we missing here? Because all, all of our kids, and I knew as I call my, my, my students back in kids, mm. all my kids are like, uh, they're really good at, at coming up with the great ideas, impressing the board of executives that they're speaking to, but their communications aren't sharp enough to get the first place. So I just took it upon myself to be that communication coach. I had no idea to coach people. I just felt like I had the jab. Yeah. So I just started uh, the. I just started helping them, and I was making a ton of mistakes. I had no idea what I was doing, and they were correcting me. Oh, but that that doesn't work, Brendan. So a lot of my coaching came from just trying a bunch of stuff, failing a ton. And then figuring out what consistently worked. And I did that until I was 22 before I started Mass Talk. Mm, that's so cool. I try to tell a lot of people who, I mean, you gave me some awesome advice. So me and Brandon, we got to talk yesterday and we had a good conversation just to prep for this and getting to know each other. And one of the things that you were saying, you gave me some advice and I was like, okay, well, how do you, uh, how did you, how did you do it A, B, and C? And you, and you gave me the awesomest advice, which I love giving to people. And it's like, don't overthink it just do it and you're gonna make mistakes along the way you're gonna run through roadblocks and all that stuff you just have to carry on and keep trying um for yourself what helps you in those situations to just carry on great question man i I think for me the way that keeps me going is to always ask what the future version of myself would think of my actions today so this is a great question that jason skisek one of my mentors asked me which i loved and the question is, if your future version, so in my case, 36-year-old Brenda, the person who's 10 years ahead of you, and back then it was 32-year-old Brenda, now it's 36-year-old. If that person had a chance to come into your life right now and tell you one thing that they disagreed with you on and how, how you're living your life, what would they disagree with you on and why? So mm-hmm. when you start to think about that question, you go, hmm, we already have the answers. We already know what we need to do. The problem is we're not doing it. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to YouTube. What kept me so consistent? Because most people who are young aren't consistent. Whereas I haven't missed a week in four years on YouTube. Not even once. Yeah. I haven't missed a week. And I don't plan on to. Hopefully that doesn't change. But the, the point is, is the reason I kept going, even if it was very hard to build the channel that I have today, is I just asked myself, what does 32-year-old Brendan think of me? And he mm-hmm. just looked at me and he just said, hey, I'm super rich, impacting a lot of people, coaching thousands of people because there's nobody in the world who's consistent in their early 20s on communication coaching. So if you're the only one, you're going to be a category of one. Mm. There's gonna, like Tony Robbins was in his early 30s. So do you want to be like that, or do you want to just be the person who should have done it? Yeah. And that's what my 32-year-old version always told me. So I said, okay, it's time for me to get back in line and, and show up. So that's what I would encourage people to think about. That's so cool. I really like that perspective. And for me, in a very similar sense, in those same situations when it is hard, I think – to both now I can look at it from a future perspective and sometimes I look at it in the past where I'm like younger Monson would have been so hyped to be doing the stuff that he's doing now (laughs) it's like don't let that boy down and then you look forward to the future and it's like older Monson 33 year old Monson that's a good number dang 33 33 year old number Monson he expects a b and c I really really like that um as we were talking yesterday Brennan you 
discussed, you know, getting to this point, some challenges within your childhood, and you and your father weren't necessarily so close. And in the Indian culture, you grow up and live in your house until you're married, pretty much. Um, and for yourself, your parents were born Sri Lanka. That's what it was. Sri Lanka, you were born in Canada. Um, you and your father didn't have the best relationship. You lived together but didn't talk much. Could you take us through that experience and kind of how it molded you and kind of some of the decisions that you've made? Happy to, Monson. Hmm. So, so you're right. So I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional family. I got really lucky with my mom and my sister. Incredible. And I still live with them today. They're amazing. And my dad's a great person too, but he had a problem with alcohol. And because of that problem, it really caused a lot of stress in the family in many ways. One was around money because he lost his job probably when I was like 12, 13 or 14 years old. And it created a lot of stress. That's one. The second one was just the yelling. He didn't do it. He, it wasn't, he wasn't very physically abusive, but very verbally abusive. Always mm. calling me names, always telling me I couldn't amount to anything in my life. So when I was 15 years old, I made a very odd decision that most 15-year-olds don't make that I just stopped talking to him. Mm. So even if we lived together, I didn't talk to him from the age of 15 all the way up until he passed when I was 23, wow. three years ago. So I talked to him once. And then he died like three days later or something. Wow. So, yeah, it was it was a challenge. But you know what I always like to say, Monson, is my dad was the greatest gift I could ever ask for. And the mm -hmm. reasons for a few, re few points. So the first one was because um, I would never would have came to this country if it wasn't for him. You know, he was, he's the one who immigrated to Canada, not me. I got, I got the golden ticket of life. And, it, and if I started in Sri Lanka, I doubt I would have the same level of success that I do today because I would have an Indian accent that I have to spend all this money to get to Canada. I, I might have done something with my life, but not at the, not at the caliber, without a doubt, that I've, I've, I've achieved relative to my age. So that's why. The second piece is he's the, he's the guy who pushed me to be successful because I always grew up hating him. So I always tried to prove him wrong. And that was the, the, literally the point of my life. So I'm from like the, page, the ages of like 12 all the way up to 22. I worked my butt off because I wanted to prove him wrong. I wanted to be successful mm. and show him that I could make it. And that's what I did. That fueled me. But I think the challenge, what's led to my, I guess, quote-unquote awakening, is the game wasn't real, Monson. Mm. The game wasn't real. He never wanted me to lose, right? He, 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 grew, he grew up. He grew me up when he was, his funeral had, like, hundreds of people. He, he helped so many people. He just, he just made a mistake along the way, and that's life. The game mm. was rigged. I'm the guy who created the game. There was no game to begin with. So I think when I realized when it, when it was his last 30 days or something, I just looked at my life and I said, was this what I was trying to do? Was I really mm. trying to beat him or is there a bigger play here? Because I had to change my focus. He's leaving. He's not going to stay here anymore. It's time right. for him to go to a to what are you, place. What are you to fight against at that point? Right. There's like nothing yeah. to fight against. Yeah. So that's when I realized that the purpose of life is not to try and beat my dad the, and retire my mom, which, of course, is an important purpose to have. But the other piece, which is more important, is how do I use the limited time I have? Because he didn't have much. He died at 52. Mm. And I'm already half done if I die at 52. So I better use this time wisely. Wow. I really, really like that. Um, for you, when you kind of realized, all right. I've been using my dad as my fuel for my whole life. <laughs> How, I guess, was there something, what was the exact process of changing from that's my fuel to life is just my fuel, succeeding is just my fuel? Man, that's a great question. I won't have the perfect answer today, but I'll give you the first thing that comes to my mind. 
which is what Tony Robbins says. He says, if you're going to blame someone for your failure, you might as well blame them for your success too. And mm. I think that's so true because every person that we hate has a gift. And it's all about how we choose to externalize our perspective towards it. I think for me, dude, to be honest, I only got to that place when he died. Hmm. Like up until that point, I hadn't really, I hadn't really gone through that process. I think it was really at that point when it was time for him to go that I realized that there was a void in how I was living my life. Because before hmm. then, I was doing just fine. Even I was still starting Master Talk with that energy too. It's like, yeah, I'm going to prove to you too. I not only can I start and be successful at IBM, I could also start a YouTube channel and do all that stuff. It wasn't all of it, but it, it was more balanced at that point. But there was still some of that there. Let's not kid ourselves here. Yeah. But I think I think the big piece was really in his last days. That's what really led to my awakening. And I, I think if he had lived, like if he was still alive today, I don't think I would have gotten there until mm. until uh, until I was gradually getting better, but not the full awakening that I have today, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Um, do you feel as if, do you feel as if there's a lot of things with the both of your relationship that you, for a long time, I know now you look at it in a very positive manner, which is the way it should be. And you yeah, got, you got to do something to make it into a good experience rather than a bad one. But do you look back and have any form of regret or did you ever have any form of regrets for maybe the walls or the boundaries that were set up or anything like that? Great question, Monson. So to be truthful, I actually don't regret anything. And I'll tell you why, because I think the mm. why is important. The reason is because the version of 15-year-old Brendan needed that for himself. Mm. He needed to block out his dad to be successful. Because every time – I remember the last time I talked to him, like it was yesterday. I was like 15 years old. I was writing a psychology paper, and he kept opening the door every 10 minutes. And he kept saying, like, why are you doing this psychology? Like, he was yelling at me. He was completely, like, uh, drunk, intoxicated. Mm -hmm. And it was, like, for, like, the 10th time this week. And then I just started yelling at him, which I never do. You never yell at your parents in yeah. Indian culture. And, and I just was, like, I was so pissed off. And then he started yelling back, and then I just went ice cold. And I just stopped talking to him. Hmm. And then he, stopped, he kept opening the door again. And I just pretended he didn't exist, and I was just writing my psychology paper. And, then, like, literally, I just shifted 180. And then after for a few weeks, literally, my mom was like, why aren't you talking to, to dad? And he was like, why aren't you talking to me? And he just kept yelling at me, and I just wouldn't respond anymore. And wow. I would just ask mom, hey, what's for dinner? And I would just go down. Like, like literally, my mind went dark. It's as if he, like, died in my mind. Wow. And after a few months, they all just gave up, and that just became life. But do I regret that? It, it would, it's, the right, it's the PR thing to say yes, but the answer is no. And mm. there's a great quote by this. I'm going to butcher it. But basically, the, the quote, and it's in AA, they say this. I've never been to AA, but I was listening to this episode yesterday by Dane Cook, yeah. and he was talking about this. And I think it's that, and the quote goes something like this. We must learn to understand what we can change and what we can't, and the wisdom to understand the difference. So there's mm. some people that we can change in our life, like you. Like, that's why I was giving you so much advice the other day. Because you're someone who's really open, you want to get better. So it's like, yeah, like of course you can implement. Like Plato. Yeah, you're like you're you're like getting coaching programs. You're getting better. Like, of course you're gonna, and you're obviously the host. So you're obviously asking questions. You like it, or else you wouldn't do it. And then there's some people that you just can't change. There, I'm sure there's an uncle, there's an aunt, there's a dad, there's a mom in your life that you're just like, yeah, I just know they'll. And and even my mom too. Like, mom is amazing. She's like incredible human being. But I can never convince her to start a business. That's not something she wants to do. Yeah. Right, it's like so. I don't even mean change like from a from an addiction perspective. I just mean change in general. 
So, so I think the key is for us to, I believe, to use our energy and pour our limited energy, Monson, into the people that are ready to change because that's how we really change the world. Mm. Mm. I really like that. So it's almost like looking at it in the aspect of, yes, like I could have spoke to my father, but it wouldn't have done me the same good that not speaking to him did in the long run. Um, it's and I like, could be wrong about that, by the way. Hey, we could all be wrong about a lot of things, but I know that yesterday you said you're not necessarily so much religious, but you are spiritual and you believe everything happens for a reason. And in those cases, it's like, okay, if this was so important, look at the where I'm at right now. Had I have done things differently, I might have been somewhere else. When I, I, <laughs> I wasn't that terrible of a kid, but me and my stepmom, we didn't get along too, too well, and I'd been kicked out of the house several times um, throughout my younger days and uh there was one time where i just chose to leave and it was just a little bit before i told you i went to south africa for a couple of years it was just a little bit before that and we got into a huge fight and i was just like i can't succeed i can't do anything good in this situation and so a lot of people are like oh you're harsh for leaving but it was by far the best thing that I could have done for myself because I needed to take myself out of there. And eventually it's like you try your best to right wrongs and hopefully mend relationships if possible, if people are willing to change, right? And you can do that side of things. But some people were like, oh, you might, do you think that's wrong? And I'm like, well, not necessarily because I needed it personally. And the person that I am now, I wouldn't be near what I'm doing right now had I have not left that situation. And so I'm, I relate with you in that aspect a lot. I think that's really cool. You actually touched upon a really important point that I think drives the, the main principle home, Monson. Mm. People need to figure out what's right for their lives, right? And and make sure it maximizes their outcomes. That's why my favorite quote of all time is by Randy Pausch, which is, it's not the cards that are dealt, but rather how you play the game. You mm. don't get to, You don't get to choose the cards that you're given. Like I haven't had a single family member in my life die from suicide, which is amazing. I'm super grateful about that. But there's other, but, but most of my uncles are alcoholics. So mm. you don't control that. That is just the, the cards that you're given. And you may have had an opposite. Maybe you had a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that, or a little bit less of this. Or even in the example you just gave, you felt the need to leave your house and go to South Africa a few years. I can't do that in my culture because my, my mom's purpose is her kids. Like if I leave, at 15, she'll freak out. She'll be a mess. <laughs> yeah. Like, what is she going to be? Like, at home with this per- with uh, my dad and all this stuff? Like, it'd be a mess. So I, so I have to stay. So, which which most people listening are like, no, you can't. You don't have to stay. You don't. I was like, come on. Like, you don't understand the culture and the scenario I'm in. Yeah. So I think the, the – but in the same way, people wouldn't understand you. You're like, what do you mean? I have, Of course I had to leave. But I think the, the principle that is true from both of our stories on how we handled our individual situations through the audience – is you have to assess your own situation and figure mm. out what's best for you and use this as models to say, okay, uh, I'm an Indian guy listening to this. What Brendan says makes more sense to me. Or I'm some white person in Utah. It doesn't matter. Right? It's just, I'm just throwing things right. out. And I'm some kid in, in Salt Lake City, and I'm looking at Monson. And I was like, oh, what he makes, I should go to South Africa. But the key is use these as examples, as models, and then pick the one that is most relevant to your life. Yeah, 100%. And I've tried to do that over the course of my life, and it sounds like you have as well. You take... Just what you have. I don't like the term. We t- I asked the question, which is funny, but I really actually don't like I'm glad you answered no to the regret thing because I hate the term no regrets. I think it's dumb. I regret a lot of stuff. However, 
I like looking at it from the way that you do in the sense of I'm just going to learn from it rather than regret it necessarily. It's like I just use that experience, learn from it, and then the next time I'm in a similar situation, I'm able to handle it so much better because I learned, because I, in a sense, exercised it rather than just going through it and then it's like, I regret this, I regret that. and You don't get anywhere if you live life that way. And it sounds like you have made a decision from a young age that rather than just regretting A, B, and C, I'm just going to move forward. I'm going to take what I have, the cards that I've been dealt, and I'm going to play them the best that I can. Um, and it seems like that's the way that, that you're headed in life, which is awesome. Which is super Absolutely. Because awesome. there's only one enemy at the end of the day, Monson. People don't properly understand this. Because the enemy is not your dad. It's not your mom. It's not your brother. It's not. It's not your stepmom. It's not some some guy on the street who's cutting us off in traffic. The only enemy that counts is time, mm. and time is running out on all of us, like an hourglass. Mm. So the only thing left to do is to figure out what do we want to do with our time, because it doesn't matter what circumstance we're in our life. And of course, I'm sympathetic to circumstances that are much worse than both of ours combined. But I think the point I want to drive is it doesn't change the number of time or the, the how much time you have left on Earth. So once you realize that time is the only enemy you cannot defeat and is the only one that you're fighting against, then you must take a step back and say, okay, Kobe died at 41 when he thought he was going to die at 81. So I can't assume I'm going to be here for a long time. So I might as well optimize the cards that I have right away and not waste my time doing other things besides that 100 percent. i'm currently listening to um do you know who dave you know david goggins can't Crazy hurt man. me you can't hurt me man that guy's a monster <laughs> but you can I'm definitely listening... hurt me though yeah that's for, <laughs> sure. <laughs> for sure i'm listening to his uh audiobook currently the can't hurt me one and he dives deep into his childhood and it's just very traumatic i'm convinced and some people have given me backlash on this before, but I'm convinced that no matter what situation you are in, that you have some form. There's there's an innate an, an innate sense of goodness in us that leads us to know right from wrong, and that's what we have to work with. Some people, obviously, like you're saying, you empathize with certain situations. If I was born in Afghanistan, my life might look a lot differently than it does now, right? But I believe that every single person has somewhat in them that can show them how can I get out of this. And like you're saying, if we look at our life not with the excuses or the self-pity of, oh, well, my situation's tough, or me and my dad don't have a good relationship, me and my stepmom don't have a good relationship, versus if I only have so long on this earth, I have to do something right now. And as we do that, I truly believe that people, no matter what situation you're in, you can make it out and that you can be able to grow. Even if it's harder, um, per se, for some people, then again, I got a lot of thoughts on what's harder and yada yada. Everybody's situation is different. You deal with what you got and you work with it. And listening to David Goggins' story, it, bad. <laughs> I mean, he went through such a like awful childhood my girlfriend, when I started telling her about his story, she starts crying because she just doesn't like it. <laughs> I mean, she had, like, super yeah, yeah, abuse. don't no more David Goggins stories with your girlfriend, Monson. That's 100%. that's me giving you feedback. Don't worry, her. <laughs> it's true. I'll just keep it to myself. Just give it to but you. abusive father, and you know he threatened his life, gun to his head type stuff, and he made it out and made something of himself, and and, and has had this success. And sure, people might say. Let me ask you this, actually, because some people like to say, 
oh, well, that's only some people. Like, the, he's the outlier, right? Which, in a lot of the case, I guess he is. But what makes the difference? I mean, everybody can do that. I really believe that. So what makes the difference? Why is there only a few who make it out of their tough situations? Great question. Here, here's, here's the changing in frame that I'd love to provide for your audience, which is we're all outliers. Mm. And the reason I fundamentally believe that is because the probability of us even living is ridiculous. Like it's so low. Like your ancestors, your parents had to be had to be with each other at the right time at the right place, and their grandparents had to be th- and their ancestors and their ancestors, and there will never ever be another version of us for the rest of time who has had the same set of experiences who has lived that specific life. So that implies by definition we are all unique and special. But now the problem, the core of the issue becomes. Most people don't know that. Most people don't realize that. Most people don't believe that about themselves. And that's what leads to, I think, the terrible outcomes that most people have. And I think that the people who ultimately become the quote-unquote outliers, even if I believe everyone's an outlier, just in different things. Like, is Brennan an outlier in being an NBA basketball player? No, 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 no. Maybe I'll I'll sit in the back and eat some popcorn, but I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> but is Brendan the guy on the court with public speaking coaching? Is he like going to be like a, a Dale Carnegie for India and change the world communication? Absolutely, that's what I'm born to do. But but not for in the same way LeBron isn't born to do what I'm supposed to do. So I think the first piece is understanding the people who are outliers in our society just realized they were, hmm. and just believed it, and made a decision to find it regardless of what other people thought about how they live their life. I think that's the most important piece, and most people just don't get there. And now the the more interesting follow-up question now becomes, Monson, how does one get there? Hmm. And this is a question I've pondered a lot, because it's easy for me, and that's why I don't like podcasts in some regard, because a lot of people, they just go find your passion, right? But I think the challenge with that advice is it's easy for me to say. It's easy for you to say to an extent. I mean, you're still figuring it out too, but it's easy for for somebody like me, let's say, or Elizabeth Gilbert to find that out because she just Mm. knew like, yeah, I'm supposed to read books and write books. And so here's, here's my advice. I believe that the goal of life is to do this. Your life is solely determined by the quality of the questions that you ask yourself about life. Mm. And that's what Tony Robbins says. My version of Tony's quote is, I dare you to ask a hard question every day for 30 days. Because if you did that, you'll never be the same ever again. And I call these 80-20 questions. What are the questions in our life, like the 80-20 principle? What are the 20% of the results that drive, or rather 20% of the actions that drive 80% of the results? So now the question that I think about that I'm still working on, what are the 20% of the questions that lead to 80% of one's clarity in life? So let me give you three to not overwhelm people. One, if you could only accomplish three things and only three in your life, what would you want to accomplish and why? This really helps you focus. Question two, if I could retire you right now, I gave you a billion dollars right now, in this moment, what would you do with your time? Because you don't have to work anymore. You don't have to retire at 65. And a lot of people, unfortunately, Monson, don't have a great answer to that question. Hmm. And then question three that I got from Devon Bandiston, what's a goal or a dream that you secretly gave up on and never told anyone about? Hmm. That last one hurts a lot of people. Wow, those are really good. I really, really like that. I, yeah, I have thought about that question, the first one, as far as how do we get there? 
I've thought about that over and over again. Because as you know from our conversation, I want to help people figure that out. Um, it's like almost the idea of bringing the horse to the water and you're like, how can I actually get the horse to drink the water? Because <laughs> too many people, there's two different kinds of speakers, there's two different kinds of coaches where it's the ones who say stuff that you don't even have to be listening, but you know what they said because it's just so generic and standard and it's like I could be half asleep, wake up and be like, oh yeah, uh, work hard, uh, achieve your dreams, I got it. But there's a few other coaches on the other side who can actually show you the way through not necessarily their example exactly, but just through teaching you things that will give you the drive to do it. And I thought about it a lot, and I think one of the biggest issues that people deal with is, and it sounds unique because for the most part we think of this, and this is a lot of prefacing, but for the most part we think of this as a negative in the sense of overconfidence, but I think one of the hugest issues with people not accomplishing dreams, accomplishing goals, um, not achieving the things that they can do i think it's pride and i look at pride not only in the aspect of oh he's just so overconfident yada yada but i look at pride in the sense of you are fighting against something that is true so if brendan you get the feelings in life you realize i want to be a speaker right i want to teach people how to how to speak properly i want to be this coach if you get that realization but then in your mind have all these doubts and fight against those feelings, that's you being prideful to yourself. If people are able to exchange pride with the opposite, which is humility, then they're able to realize, okay, I have this feeling, this innate feeling that for some people they feel like it comes from God, right? I feel like it comes from God. You feel like it's like, oh, I just have this innate feeling. The spirit is just, I'm feeling it, right? We feel it in different ways, but if we get those feelings and we're prideful, we're going to put them to the side. And if we're humble, then we'll accept them. And no matter how hard it is or how long it takes, we're going to be willing to overcome whatever it is to get it done because we are humble, because we are willing to act and, and we're willing to do something. I think that's really powerful, Monson. I love, I love the idea of exchanging pride with humility because it really helps us. The other piece that I'll drive with that is why I believe most people don't achieve their goals, which I think mm. makes sense if you think about it, or their dreams. The brain, it's mm. wired for survival. It's not wired for happiness and helping you achieve your goals and your dreams. Right. It just wants you to survive and just have kids that have kids, right? That's, that's what the brain is wired to do. And the best way to survive, Monson, is to fit in, to do what everyone else is doing. Mm. So if you, if you ne by definition, if you do something that most people aren't doing, you are kicked out of the tribe, or at least your brain believes that, which isn't necessarily true, right. but that's what you believe. So your tendency is to just stay in that box. That's one piece. And I think the other piece, which builds on what you said, is the idea of urgency. I think most people just don't have enough urgency to achieve their dreams or what they want to do with their life. There's a great quote by Elon Musk on this. It's, it's really powerful. Basically, the quote is, People are quick to find a charger before their phone dies, but people aren't so quick to find a plan before their dream dies. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really powerful because a lot of people, we rush, you know, if our phone's running out of battery, we try and find a charger and we plug it in, but we don't even have that thought around what we care about, what our dream is. And I'll tell you the very one reason, it's really just one, what's mm -hmm. keep me ridiculously motivated and consistent in my life. And it's basically an answer to this question. It's very dark. It's one of my 80-20 questions. Mm. Who suffers from your inability to take action every single day? Mm. Who suffers? 
I had every excuse in the book, Monson, to not do Master Talk. 22-year-old kid, got a bachelor's degree in accounting. I'm making videos in my mom's basement. It's really right that I still live with my mom. And I'm making videos with my phone with no money, no budget, no lighting that I have now because I can afford $200 lighting. <laughs> Why in the world did I think I could make YouTube videos and share my ideas with the world when the person I looked up to on YouTube was a PhD in communication in his 50s? Because I never did it for my executive clients. I did it for the 15-year-old girl who can't afford me mm. or any other communication coach. Every day I woke up, Monson, and I thought back to that moment I was coaching those little girls and how red they were in the face and how nervous they were. And I thought and it really put a fire under my butt because I looked at them and I said, who's taking care of these little girls? Mm. Sure, maybe there's someone that'll take care of her in Montreal. What about in Cambodia or Laos or South Africa? Like, who's taking care of these people? Who's sharing free resources with them? And I realized that every day that I made the decision not to start Mass Talk was a day that those girls suffered. Mm. And always walked into that classroom in high school being afraid of communication and not having somebody going, hey, you're a lot more powerful than you know. You can share your ideas with the world. Mm. And that made me invincible. So every day when an executive told me I was too young, when my videos weren't working, when I didn't have the money, I just always thought back to her. And I said, who's going to protect her? Because if I'm not going to do it, no one else will. And trust me, that makes you motivated. Yeah, totally. I love that. I love that a lot because you're motivated by something that's good, which – doesn't only bring success, but it brings hap- it brings fulfillment, it brings joy. Um, I love this quote from Bob Marley. The first time I ever heard it was watching I Am Legend. <laughs> I love that movie. Um, but Bob Marley performing at a peace rally, he gets shot two nights before him and his wife, and his wife gets killed. Two days later, he goes to the peace rally, just out of the hospital, and still performs, does his thing. And at the back of the crowd are the people who shot him. And he's just up there singing, you know, don't worry. Yeah, you know. Thank you for that, by the way. Um, <laughs> he's just singing. <laughs> Afterwards, reporters come up to him and are like, hey, how did you – How did, you knew it was dangerous. You're obviously not well. How, what made you do this? And his response was the people that are trying to make this world worse – aren't taking a day off so how can i and i like to look at it in that exact same aspect similar to yourself where it's like there are people who have lives who maybe they're going through the same situations i've been through in life but they don't have the same confidence that i have they don't have the same happiness that i've been able that i've thankfully been blessed with who am i to not do something about that who am i to be like oh yeah i've just been blessed with this awesome amount of confidence and happiness who am I to keep that to myself and forget about the people that I once was? That shy, like, all right, that's a lie. I was never shy. But that timid, you know, scared little boy that I was before, who am I to not reach back out to that little boy and help them in the long run? Because the people that are trying to make the world worse, they're always active. And we Like, you turn on the news and you're like, dang, they are really, you know, they are really working hard. <laughs> and so who are we as the good people of this world to not do our part in, in bringing light and bringing happiness to people and so i really that perspective is so cool when you put it in the aspect of in a sense service it it teaches you far beyond if it was just for personal gain 
Forget about my perspective. That was so good. Now I feel more <laughs> motivated. Wow, I've never heard of that story before. Awesome. I'm going to share that with all of my clients. You better. That's you better. really good. Where did you get that from? Originally, it was on I Am Legend. He quotes what is, it. Is that like a documentary? Oh, okay. It's um Will Smith. It's a... It's like an end oh. of the. It's like an apocalypse movie, and they're they're like zombie vampire people that can't come out in the day. Oh, it's anyway, from a movie. Yeah, and he's like the last dude alive, but he loves Bob Marley, and part of the he quotes him at the end. And so I was like, I want to look more into that situation. So I read up on the story. I just googled it, found the story, and I was like, oh wow, that's that's powerful. Like him, his wife died. I didn't know that happened. So his wife dies, but he still goes up and sings. And I was like, dang. Bob Marley, who knew, my man. <laughs> Can you repeat that quote again? He says, the people that are trying to make this world worse aren't taking a day off, so how can I? So Beautiful. good, man. I love so that. It's powerful. Good. Yeah, we're going to print that out one day, and there you'll see it on the wall next time. It'll be right there. It's so good. I love that. Yeah, wow. totally. Um, so I guess tying everything somewhat back into you moving forward from tough situations getting into master talk how has the progression been since then i love talking about this because obviously you've pointed out a few details where it was hard you're filming with your phone you don't got no lighting but you're just doing it and now it starts to get better how do you maintain how do you maintain that how do you maintain like oh i'm having success i'm gonna keep working or uh, there's a failure i'm gonna keep working how do you do that yeah, absolutely, Bonson. I think that, that plays a lot into to the idea you brought up earlier around trading your pride for your humility. I think what I realized is that people at the top, people are 100 times more successful than me, people that I look up to and I will continue to. Mm -hmm. Lewis Howes, Gary Vaynerchuk, Scott Harrison, Seth Godin, like the goats, the people that I just look up to as, as my heroes. Yeah. All of them are humble. Mm. None of them are tuned in their own horn. And they're a million times more successful than me. So that's a constant reminder for me that I'm never worth my salt. So it's a balancing act between a conviction that, yes, I will achieve my big ambitions and I'm the greatest and I can do this and I'm going to help a ton of people. But it's a counterbalance between that and there's some things Monson is going to teach me that I actually have no clue about that I need to listen to or else I won't become that person. Hmm. So it's about mixing it's a it's a it's a interesting balance that you need to have between conviction and humility the monson i don't care what you tell me i'm going to be successful in life but also i also want to hear your opinions because there's probably something that you know that i don't that i can learn from mm. and you need to constantly have both of that that balancing act together because if you're too listening to others and you don't have your own conviction you don't become successful but if you have t you're too convicted but you're not opening up your mind to new ideas like that bob marley thing blew my mind literally live as we're talking mm. if you're not open to those ideas and you think you're the best you're going to lose too to somebody, you're always going to lose to a humbler man or woman, right? So yeah. it's kind of it's kind of this balance between both ideals, and I try and do that now. And I'm still not super successful, but I'm successful enough now where I can do what I love full time forever. So right. it's not letting that get to my head, and to keep progressing and not settling for the impact I've already created. Hundred percent. I, Jordan Peterson, he always says, "Ask stupid questions." Because people that ask stupid questions, they only need to ask those questions one time, and the next thing you know, they've learned from it. And I like, I love, I, I like that earlier you mentioned Kobe because I love Kobe, and he's like one of my biggest role models. 
as far as just the way he approached what he did. And I apply it to, okay, how can I approach what I'm doing in that same manner? He always, there's so many stories of him where he'd find players that were better at something than him. For example, like J.J. Redick, his great three-point shooter, and he was better than Kobe at shooting threes. And so Kobe's older than him, more successful than him, more well-known than him, but he knows, hey, he's better than me at this one thing. So he'd go to him, ask him what he does. He'd ask him for tips, and he'd ask him for advice. And you'd think, like, oh, does that seem like a weakness? Is he, like, showing that this is a weakness? But it's like, no, it's actually being humble. The reason you're always losing to another humbler person is because humility is a strength. Humility is something that not to necessarily be vulnerable, like not necessarily be weak, because obviously, like you're saying, you still have to have the, convic to the conviction that like I am the best, and Kobe had that. But being humble enough to go to somebody else and say, I can still improve. And as you are humble, then you do improve. And then next thing you know, you're better than you were before. Whereas you think it's a weakness, but it's really just a strength because you're adding on so much more to what you already had. I, I really, really like that. Oh, yeah. And, and those are kind of like the two challenges of success. Mm. And you can get either wrong or both right, ideally. One is the idea of becoming successful, which is very challenging. But then the other piece, which is actually equally as important, is maintaining success. Because a lot of people, when they become successful, they drink their own Kool-Aid, and that's what leads to their demise. Mm. Whereas somebody like Kobe, it doesn't matter if that guy was getting paid a billion dollars a year to be a basketball player. He would live at the same level of intensity. Yeah. And he still did long after his career ended until he passed he saw that same level of intensity he won like an oscar like a year after yeah. he, he finished his career like what like what just happened here so and that's really the the mindset that even if we do 10 percent of what he does i think that's a great benchmark so people listening to it's not about being kobe it's about saying if i just do 10 percent of what this guy did uh my potential will, will 100x just by right. doing 10 percent of what he did right being able to honestly look at yourself, see where you are lacking, and then attack those areas and see if you can progress. I've had so many, well, not I haven't had them necessarily. I've seen so many, like physical training examples where someone's like, hey, I'm going to be your physical trainer. And the first question that they'll ask is, what are you weakest at? And it's like, oh, okay, well, I hate running. I can't run very well, or I get too tired. It's like, okay, that's the first thing we're going to work on. Which I love because it's like, oh, that sucks because that humbles you quick. <laughs> and you're like, I had a basketball coach. He would do stuff like that where I was naturally very gifted in basketball. And I still am. I'm just going to throw it out there. I still am. But uh, there were certain aspects that I lacked on with my left hand was one of them. I could go to the left and somehow I'd find a way to finish with my right hand still. Even if it's so much harder, I'd still just do it. And so he would force me to work on my left hand. We did a whole thing where he tied my hand, like taped my hand to my hip, literally. And forced me to do those things. But it sucked at the time because I was like, listen, I'm still good even without it. And so I was being a little prideful about it. But when I took a step back, was humble. I was like, how much better can I be if I just accept, hey, I'm weak here. How can I progress? Um, how do you... How do you teach that to people that you're helping, that you're coaching? How do you help them to see your perspective rather than making them get upset because they're like, uh, who is this kid anyway telling me what to do? I, I'm already a good speaker. I don't need him. How do you help them see where they can improve? 
for sure Monson. So obviously there's a simple answer which doesn't help people, which is I don't work with those people anymore. But I think the, the, the main idea though, for most people in general, is showing them what's possible through small daily actions. So let's say we take the random word exos, which is one of the drills I teach. Pick a random word like phone, like computer screen, like trophy. And I just tell them to do random presentations. Usually at the beginning, somebody says, I can't do that. Oh, my God, that sounds impossible. And then I force them to do it once. And then they, and then they go, oh, that wasn't so bad. And then I look at them and say, didn't you say that was impossible 60 seconds ago? Hmm. And they go, oh. And then I always ask this question that I repeat over and over and over again until it's etched into the minds of every person that hears my voice. And the question is just this. What else is possible through communication skills? What else is possible with your communication skills? And they go, oh, I guess I could do this once a day. And I go, let's do this five times a day. Hmm. And then they do it for, let's say, a week or two. And then they've done it probably 20, 30 times. And they go, wow. And then I just ask them again. What else is possible? And they go, I think you could do it 50 times in a day. I was like, let's do it. Boom. Then I ask them what, the, what, you know, what else is possible. And then eventually, as I keep asking that, they, they reply, anything is possible. Because mm. I'm a lot better than anyone in my industry. And I was like, exactly. That's deep. I love it. That's awesome. That's I better start practicing. I better start doing some things. <laughs> you got a head start, man. You got a head start. Leverage it. I'm on the move. I'm on the move. Um, I really, really like that, actually. That's really, really cool. Because then they're at the same time, as much as you are coaching them, they're really coming to the knowledge, in a sense, themselves. You're, Correct. like, just guiding it. Because if it comes from – I'm someone who I love to learn and I love to ask questions. But if I feel as if I'm being – I'm just so stubborn. And so it's like if I feel as if someone's talking down to me, I'll shut out. Even if they're better than me at it, I'll just shut it out because it pisses me off. <laughs> and so, which is bad. I need to work on that. But when you are able to teach it in a way that's, I'm just guiding you and you're figuring it out, that benefits so many more people. Um, hmm. I asked you this a little bit yesterday, but just for the audience sake. So Brandon, everybody, Brandon's only 26 years old. How do you find it best to have people take you seriously being as young as you are you're working with people who are much older than you and maybe higher up as far as like a status maybe how do you do your part in finding like hey i can show you that you need to respect me type deal how do you do that for sure monson so so here here's what we'll talk about which is pretty much what you're nailing on the head here which is imposter syndrome mm. where we feel like we're in a position where we shouldn't be like, why is this kid coaching all of these executives? And it's true, right? My average client is probably 20 years older than me on average, I would say. So mm. why is that? Or rather, I mean, why is that? Because they're the ones who have the capital to invest in my coaching. That's, that has nothing to do with yeah. this. But the other piece is, is why do they trust me with their transformation? That's actually the more important question. So here's a story I'll tell you. It's very simple and it explains imposter syndrome pretty easily. Let's say I came to Salt Lake City, whether you live there or not. Let's just use it as a placeholder because you're in Utah. And I came to Salt Lake and I said, hey, I'm in the city. I have no idea what I should do. What should I do? You'll probably tell me, hey, Monson, I mean, not Monson, but Brendan, you should go to this restaurant, go to this attraction. You should go sightseeing here. They got the best mountains in Utah. You got to go there, here, here, and you'll give me a bunch of ideas. Does that, does that seem fair to say? Mm -hmm. game, mm -hmm. Right? Pretty simple. In the same way that if you came to Montreal, which is where I'm based, and you said, hey, I'm in the city for a speaking engagement. I'm like this professional speaker. I'm killing it, Brendan. Uh, what should I do in the city while I'm here? I was like, you got to go to this chicken place. Monson, I don't care what you tell me unless you're vegan. you got to go to the chicken place. And then you got to go to this attraction. you got to do this. And I'll tell you too. 
Mm. But don't you find that odd, Monson? Because mm. they're not tour guides. I don't think they're certified by Yelp or TripAdvisor mm. or the Na- National Federation of Tour Guides I to, like to give me advice on, on what I should be doing with my restaurants and my attractions. In the same way, my dad isn't the mayor of Montreal. My parents don't own this city. So why is it, Monson, that for some pieces of information, we don't even think about whether we're credible. We don't even think about it. We just go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We just blab without even realizing whether we're credible. But there's other areas of our life, other pieces of information where we go, "Mm, I'm not sure. I haven't Mm. studied enough. Especially the pieces of information that we actually do do the homework. Because usually what we feel imposter syndrome around is usually what we're preparing the most on. We're actually spending the time. So what's the key idea here? The key idea is, what does being an expert even mean? Mm. A lot of people think expertise is PhD degrees and master's degrees. And for me, expertise has just been, you're one step ahead of the next person in that thing. In the same way, you just taught me about a Bob Marley story that blew my mind. I didn't know that. But you're not the number one expert on Bob Marley, but you showed, you shared something with me that I actually want to share to a lot of people. Mm. Or in the same way, I shared you know a couple of tips on communication or my story that might have impacted you. That's really the key. So it's not about knowing all the answers. It's about knowing enough to teach the person behind me and learn from the person who's ahead of us. That's it. So for me, the solution is start with the person you're comfortable serving. And it goes back to Ali Gadet's quote, which is, if you help one person, the world will give you permission to help everyone else. That's what happened with me. Dang. Dang. Everybody, I hope you're listening. I hope you're listening real good because that is some nuggets right there. Everybody in Canada. <laughs> you got to be listening to this. <laughs> We're the 247th ranked <laughs> episode. I mean, it's podcast. <laughs> it's true. And they, we better be up to 2.30 now, I'll flip. But um, <laughs> I love, that's not even a golden nugget. That's just, you handed me a gold bar, and I'm just, mm, mm. I really, really like that a lot. And I think that that's probably a good, uh, good, good point to segue towards a close of this. I want to thank you for coming on today, Brennan. It has been an awesome, awesome podcast, and I think our listeners will love this, and they'll be able to learn and take a lot from it. I've learned, and I'm taking a lot from it. Um, as I hope you have. And so it's been an awesome experience. I want to close with one final question. And your idea, if you could summarize the idea of life must go on, if you could summarize that idea in your own, the way that you perceive it, what would you say? I would say for me, Monson, life must go on means the following. Time is running out on all of us regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the life that we've lived and the problems and the challenges we've had. So now the question is, what do we do about it? Mm-hmm. We can't change our circumstances, but what we can change is what we do with the cards that we have in our hand. So for me, life must go on means play the hand that you're dealt to the best of your abilities because at the end of the day, we all have to leave the poker table anyways. So we might as well have fun and enjoy the ride. Dang, I love it. Perfect. Everybody, thank you so much for always listening. And Brennan, thank you once again. I really appreciated it. That's what we'll close on. Everybody, you heard him. Life must go on. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) 